sometimes, and we, we've uh, had the joyful experience of having kids in our prayer meetings. And uh, sometimes it's interesting to watch. I mean, this isn't, this isn't in any way any kind of, of setback or anything against anything, but sometimes it takes having to relearn having kids in the midst of things. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like, like this, even the listening and being able to tune out um, some of the distractions. And I know even like Wednesday nights, sometimes you hear banging downstairs or you start hearing singing or a door shutting and stuff like that. And, and it takes a little bit of learning when kids are in the midst of it. But I mean, that's how, how they used to do it in homes, right? And the pastors traveled and the kids Sorry, I'm just traveling down memory lane. The, I remember having the pastor come and uh, parents were having their conversations and whatnot, and I remember breaking a window. Um, and the, I, I, I hit the branch with my uh, rock out of the slingshot, but uh, yeah, anyway, there, the story develops from there. But uh, life, life goes on. So I, I, I'm, I guess I'm saying that I'm thankful that we have kids in our service. Right, I'm thankful that, that they're here. You know, they may not grasp and everything, but uh, from the little ones to that, and, and I think we can definitely um, work through some of the things that way. I'm going to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. And... Uh, Hopefully you had a, a chance to just grab notes um, from the front foyer there. And, and we, we won't probably get through a lot of this, but Luke 24 just really does lay much of the foundations as we, we step into the book, book of Acts, Luke 24. So beginning this morning, just with a, a couple questions and part of Part of my training and part of, I guess, say my task and role of pastor is to ask some of the difficult, difficult questions, right? And, and again, there's, it's not intended to hurt anyone, um, but some of the difficult things that we face as the church culture, what's going on around us as, as church buildings are being boarded up, and uh, it's important to pursue answers in and through that. So just as we begin, the question this morning I'm going to pose is, how much foundation does your gospel have? How much foundation does your gospel have? Where does your gospel begin? Like if you're explaining who Jesus is, where do you start? Or what, what, what is it that moors your faith? that you've placed in Jesus? Where, where does it start? When I think of how important that is, the foundation and, and where your gospel begins, that applies to parenting, to teaching Sunday school, to children's and youth ministry, to, to doing church as a family, to outreach. These are questions that we need to really think through. Right? How much foundation does your gospel have? Where does it begin? I followed that this week, and I was having discussions with some of the, the students there last night with what are pastor's kids, that's what the PK in your notes is, missionary kids, 
and our churched kids, what are they walking away from? Okay, yeah, and, and that's, that, that, that's an answer in that, but, but what are they walking away from? What are pastor's kids walking away from? What are missionaries' kids walking away from? What are our church kids walking away from? Are they walking away from a verse or God's plan, God's explained plan? And we'll develop that a little bit more, but uh, I'll pray, and uh, we'll read down through the text, and we'll see, see how far we get this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do just come before you with the pages of your word, your authoritative word open, Lord, the, the perfect teacher before us, Lord, your king before us, Lord, the one who desires to see his church thrive, the one who desires to see your church, his church, awaken. Lord, and I just think of the, the potential that, that Coldstream Baptist Church has to the things that, that, that you, the good works, the, the outreach, the things that you have before it. And Lord, I pray that you would allow us to, to dig deep. You would allow us to connect dots. And Lord, that we would develop as a church with a unmoving gospel in today's day where <laughs> so many things are just, just changing. And I pray that we would understand as a church family that, that, that this has to begin, that ha this has to be cultivated, this has to be intentional. And we would ask your spirit to help us in that. And I just pray these things in your precious name. Amen. All right, so I'd just like to begin by, well, we'll begin there in verse 18. And we'll read down through and, and we'll just grasp some things and then we'll hit my points here. But verse 18, Luke 24 says, Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, him being Jesus, him being King Jesus, him being the Messiah, the anointed chosen one, the Christ, anointed chosen one. All right, said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem and have you not known the things which happened there in these days? And he, King Jesus, said to them, what things? So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth. You might remember last week there, Jesus is calling on them to rehearse what they already know. Rehearse in the, in the place of distress what they've stepped away from. And if you were to, to start building a foundation for the gospel, this is a very good text to work through. Why is that? Because it has all the elements for the gospel. It says there concerning Jesus of Nazareth. Well, we better go back and read the gospels, right? Because how do we know who Jesus is and how he authenticated himself? It's through the gospels, right? We know Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed in the word before God and all the people. What were they referring to there? The Deuteronomy 18. God promised Moses that a new prophet would come, just as Moses did, and lead his people. Right? They've been looking for this Moses, this, this Savior, this Deliverer. They knew that. They watched that. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him. Who's the him? King Jesus. 
the Messiah, the anointed chosen one, the Christ, delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. What Old Testament passage do you think they're referring to here? Isaiah 53. New Testament isn't written yet. Right? The, the foundations for the gospel for these, these two individuals was already placed before them. They just had to connect the dots. And these dots would connect and form a foundation that would not be shaken regardless of the suffering that we just read about, regardless of, of the direction of the church, regardless of the, the, the Judaizers, regardless. They knew who Christ is and where he is. Verse 21 says, but we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Isaiah speaks to that all the time. Indeed, besides all these things, today is the third day since these things happened. Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us. Right? What was astonishing? The body's gone. Right? I mean, it's gone. The, the linens are, are folded and laying there. The, the body is gone. And when they did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Right? They have the Old Testament text. They have firsthand witness that the body is gone. They have angelic, God's heavenly messengers telling them that it's gone. I mean, you have all the authentication that you need. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Is it important to have an apostolic witness to this? Yeah. I mean, it, 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 the whole, whole, the gospel is laid out right, like boom, 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 the foundations for this. And I see that as very, very important. You can sit down with someone with this narrative and walk them through the foundations of what Jesus Christ, the Messiah King, did on the cross. I'm not saying John 3.16 can't be used. I'm not saying the wordless book can't be used. But to show them the foundations of the gospel is huge. This is what the church was built on. Verse 25. Then he, Messiah King, the anointed chosen one, Jesus Christ, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. And I'll say it again because even with, with my Acts students, it takes a while. Where are the prophets recorded? In the Old Testament scriptures. What? When they proclaimed judgment, right? What was it always partnered with? Hope, right? Restoration, that there was a coming anointed chosen one, a son of David that was going to bring this kingdom, right? Bring this hope and peace. They didn't know necessarily, some of them, that, that it would come through him giving his life on the cross, but they knew that the Lord would provide what's needed and they had faith in that. The prophets proclaimed, they anticipated and the foundations of the gospel were laid <laughs> all through the Old Testament. For a church kid that did walk away from the faith, 
right? Walk away from the scriptures. That's an important thing for me to discover. Like John 3, 16, and again, it, it is enough. God loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But there's something about finding the foundation of God's love for me, God's plan, how big that is, how secure that is, that resonates in my heart. And that's a heart play as I give that. He says, O foolish one, slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. They've turned from, away from their Old Testament scriptures and choosing to follow that way. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? We open the service with Philippians 2. And we open the service there with Hebrews 9, 11 and 12. As Jesus is standing here, now we don't know exactly how many days after his resurrection, and this is a fun discussion to have had, but has Jesus already been exalted and given that name above every name? My answer would be yes, and we'll look at this next week. Had Jesus already applied his blood to the heavenly sanctuary, the holy of holies? And my answer is yes. He's already been in the presence of the Father. He's already received his glorified body. It's veiled, but he's standing there and he's saying, <laughs> and, and just for me as I read that, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? There was something that Jesus had for them, but they had to grasp the scriptures to connect the dots. Connect that. Maybe just to make that point, read with me verse 26. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory, to be exalted, name above every name? Let's just go to Isaiah 53, just to make sure that that finds its place. The foundations, and again, how, how much foundation does your gospel have? Where does it begin? Isaiah 53. I could walk you through the, the first time I realized that uh, <laughs> Isaiah 53 had a verse 11 and 12 in my understanding. And why, why do I say that? Because almost every gospel presentation that I've ever heard up to a certain point went to Jesus dying, right? his blood being shed, him suffering, being tortured, and me seeing that's my place. Like he took my place. And then he went in the tomb and he was raised from the dead and that's my resurrection promise. And most gospel presentations stop there, don't they? Right? Like that's, that's where they stop. And I mean, even, even, even using Isaiah 53 and, and we'll read down through it and we'll say it's familiar, but rarely do we hit 11 and 12. In our gospel presentation, as Jesus is on the road to Emmaus with these two, he's already stepped into that, that hope that follows after, after the cross. So let's just step into verse 4, and I hope even just reading down through this will change and, and moor your, 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 and maybe, it doesn't, maybe it's just a reminder, but it will moor your foundation. And I want to show you how easy it is just to read through with someone. 
and show them that next step. Verse 4, Isaiah 53, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. Israel watched and, and watched his rejection, and they just they weren't concerned. God must be doing that. But he was wounded for our transgressions. And I don't have my name written here in this Bible yet, but that's my transgressions. Right? My name needs to be there to remind myself that, that he took my place. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, but we've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth he was led as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. And we can almost at this point see Jesus saying, it is finished. It is finished. Sin is paid for once and for all. It's offered to all men by faith to be applied to their account. Then we move past that. Like we understand, we understand that sin is paid for. Now we're moving into that hope, that restoration, the kingdom of God promise. It said, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Why is that? Because of the resurrection. Read with me. He shall see his seed. Who? King Jesus, the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed chosen one, he shall see his seed. This prophetic text says that Jesus will rise again. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Can you see the king on the throne? Can you see the king being exalted in Philippians 2? Being given a name above every name? Right? He, he, he's raised, he's exalted, he's placed on his position on the throne. Now verse 11 and 12 makes sense. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. Right? We can see the church in that. We can see the future kingdom, his subjects. He's going to see his kingdom come to a fruition by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many. Right? He's going to lead them to that place of obedience, that place of, of being declared or that place of, of walking in God's righteousness. How? Why? Because he's the king. He's going to rule with a rod of righteousness. For he shall bear their iniquities. And that's an interesting study all in itself. Verse 12 Right, this is how we lead you past what Jesus did on the cross, and we see him as 
king. We see him on his throne. We see him <laughs> at the right hand of the Father as, as Stephen is being stoned to death. Verse 12 says, Therefore I will divide him. Who's the him? Jesus, King Jesus, the Messiah, King Jesus. I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Right? Right? This, this steps into that future program, and that was a good try in that. <laughs> right? With the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Summarizing that, that is your Philippians 2. Because he was obedient, went to the cross, he is exalted. He's given all authority. He is, he is given the realm of all principalities and powers because of what he did. Huge. The gospel goes on past the cross. The gospel, gospel goes on past the, the resurrection. The gospel goes on past. We have the good news that's coming. It's the whole we're being saved. We're back to your foundation of the gospel. Right? How much foundation does your gospel have? Where does your gospel begin? What are people walking away from? Is it a verse? Or is it God's explained plan? I, I, I really feel, feel that, 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 is, that is a very, very, very big thing to park on. So let's go back to Luke 24 before I park on it too much. Um, some of the things I've been saying for over a year now in some of my writings and conversations, how do you change a culture? How, how, do you, how do you change a culture that's headed in the wrong direction? Again, conversations with teens um, at the Bible school last night, and some of them were just explaining how blessed they were because they had a family that, that emphasizes and prioritizes Christ, right? The learning of the Word, right? The, the development of their spiritual gifts. And I really do believe that that's the answer to changing culture. One family at a time, returning to placing Christ at the center, pushing the world, pushing all the things that are dragging us away and just say, we need to return to what Christ has called us to. So just Luke 24, we'll step into verse 25, and, and I am mindful of the time, and, and I won't get whined too much because I, I would like to lay some of these foundations for those that are missing as well this morning. Um, just because they're so key to stepping in the book of Acts. But I would like to look at some points just in verse 25 as he says to them, and again, they've just rehearsed, and we looked at this last week, they rehearsed the, the foundation of, of the gospel, their Old Testament text. They had everything before them, but they just weren't connecting the dots. And in verse 25, I, I just use the point, Jesus deals with their disregard for Scripture first. Right? They, had, they had everything before them. And he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Right? They had the teachings of Jesus. They knew Jesus. They just watched him die on Calvary. They had the Old Testament scriptures. Why did they just toss them aside as secondary? I mean, and, and I, we, we don't want to, you know, put humanity off. I, I can, we looked at some different reasons, but that's where we need to begin. 
what we know. That's the foundations of the gospel, foundations of our faith. I think to myself how much disinterest there is in those things today in church culture. Right? Old Testament, not interested. The idea of studying, not interested. The idea of learning so that I can explain to others, oh, that's, that's the pastor's job. And we see what that's done to culture. We see what that's done as pastor's kids and missionary kids and church kids are, are leaving. Jesus deals with their disregard for Scripture first. He says, you foolish ones, slow of heart. They have unbelief in. I mean, if you, if you are not believing something, it's not moving you. I use the term here, spiritual stalemate. Right? I mean, there's nothing there. I mean, you're not going forward. You're not going back. You're just kind of stuck. And Jesus deals with that. He says, in all that the prophets have spoken. I got an exclamation mark there. I mean, they're, they're, this is emphatic. Right? You're not believing what God has given you hundreds of years before. I mean, our whole culture, uh, their whole culture as Jews was all pointing towards this moment, and you've tossed it aside. You'll notice in the notes I put this way. Biblical ignorance misses God's gospel. If you don't want to know, right, the idea of, 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 of setting it aside, um, I'm not going to pursue this question, right? It misses God's gospel. And many times, many times when you're not willing to sit down and lay the foundation for the gospel, you begin presenting a different gospel, one with ideas, one that's subjective. And, and again, one of my roles, I read a lot. And with my schooling, I read a lot. And that is what's going on with church culture. There is a different gospel. And it is completely, it comes with the permission that you are allowed to believe whatever you want to believe. And that is, that is luring our kids, that is luring our Bible schools, that's luring professors out into this world of a different gospel. We have to be aware of that. But here Jesus deals with the disregard for Scripture first. Verse 26, we see Jesus taking them again to his prophetic word, the gospel foundations. Ought not the Christ, which means anointed chosen one, to have suffered these things to enter into his glory, to be exalted, to receive that name above every name, the king to take his place at the right hand of the Father, does the Old Testament not say that this is true? Like, that this is going to happen? And their answer would probably be like, well, yes, yes. Well, well, why are we in this place? Because of unbelief. Because they're not connecting these dots. I've put some references in your notes. I encourage you this week, if you're looking for some homework or to deepen your understanding, just find Jesus in those passages. I know it changed my life. It moored the foundation when I, I just, there he is. There he is from 1400 B.C. in Moses. I mean, without going right back to Genesis, I think I do have some Genesis text. I mean, right from the very beginning, God's anointed chosen one was promised. That's not something that you can just disregard. That's something that you have to work through when you choose to walk away. These things moor your foundations. I thought of an application as I was thinking through that point of Jesus taking them again to the prophetic word and why it's so important for us 
And then as a younger man trying to ask the question, why is the church so quick to disregard the Old Testament? I mean, you don't hear much preaching in, in many contemporary churches today on the Old Testament. I mean, that's for the old boys that they wear the big fat ties still and sit up there with the big pulpits. I mean, they're, the Old Testament is their thing. But that, that's the foundations of understanding who the person of Christ is. An application that grows out of him saying, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory or be exalted as king now that we understand that? The application is this. Where does Jesus begin showing these two who he is? Where does he begin? It goes back to the beginning. He goes back and he says, you guys know this. Side note for a second. It's not really a side note. But I heard the the term, one, one of them, we'll just say interactive with classes and stuff like that. And one of the, the statements was made about, and the text was Matthew 10 and Luke 10, when the 12 disciples are sent out, and then the 70 disciples are sent out, right? And the power of the Spirit, and they're proclaiming Christ and all that. And the term was, was used, they were new believers. I had a hard time with that. Why is that? These were Jewish men. These were Jewish men that by like, by, I mean, by I think it's like four years old to 12, they are so immersed in the Old Testament as Jewish men in the synagogue, the feasts. In many cases, they have the, the, the Pentateuch, Genesis to Deuteronomy memorized. Right by the time there, they knew their Old Testament scriptures. When Jesus came and said, "These point to me," and they believed, they were not new believers. They were they were believers who had their scriptures going. That missing piece just fit. You see the difference there. Like like when I think of a new believer, I think of one of my teens believing that Jesus is the Christ and He died for them, and they have no Bible. They have no foundation. To say that those men were new believers, they had the moorings. They had the Old Testament gospel. They, they're here reciting it for us. Right? The idea of being new believers, new to the faith, that, that's, and it'll take, let it, let it sink in, but I'm like, that, they, they had, they just received that missing piece. They're not starting from ground zero, and that changes how they proclaim Christ. That's what makes it so important for us to read and learn and study. So when we're showing someone who Christ is, the foundations of the gospel, these, these truths are what brings them alive to this. So where does Jesus begin showing them who he is? And we'll probably just, just get through there the first, first point here, point number two. He begins in the Old Testament. He begins by, by, by showing them, ought not the Christ. Verse 27 says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, explained. Another word used as he interpreted, right? To them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus connects the dots and, and lays the foundation for their faith in him. Explained, expounded, interpreted. These weren't just stories, he was showing them from Scripture. 
again, thinking about culture. And I'm not meddling here. But we, we've gone from children sitting in services and reading scripture at the table to Sunday school stories, which are good in their place as long as they understand that it's coming from scripture and felt boards, to kids now watching Veggie Tales. Okay, you know what I'm talking about, Abby? Yeah, like, like veg- I mean, that's like, let's put them in a classroom while the adults are upstairs and we'll give them Veggie Tales. And I'm not even sure what, I know Edward's very careful with, with, with his little ones that there has to be biblical content, there has to be the word involved in that, but, but we see the, the digression coming. We're kind of back to what is the foundation of your gospel? Why is church culture the way it is? Because we've stepped away from the way, the example that Jesus gives us. So could some of the condition of the church be explained by not explaining? And I'd say yes, right? And we're back to, are people walking away from a verse or are they walking away from an explained plan? I asked the question this week, can a Christian faith be built on a verse? Process it. I'm not saying there that the Spirit can't lead someone to saving faith by a verse. But can you build and can you say, I'm a Christian and I love Jesus and I'm walking in obedience on a verse? Or do you need the Word of God explained? You need to see that. You need to see the gospel developed in your life so that you, as you're walking forward, I know what I believe and the Spirit leads you in this. We see there with the direction that we're heading. Can a church spiritually thrive on a verse? Does it need to be mooring itself in the foundations of the gospel? Does it need to be studying how Jesus explained it? Does it need to be grasping what it's supposed to go with so it can show, show others, so it can have those conversations? Can a church thrive on just a verse? Can God's people take the message of the gospel with a verse. I put underneath that. I'm, it's open for discussion. I'm not going to stand up here and, and tell you what to believe or what to think. But I know in my own life, <clears throat> and as I've watched the Spirit work, and I work a lot with pastor's kids and church kids. I mean, that's the nature of the Bible school. A lot of them are, some of them aren't. But when I begin to show them the gospel as Jesus showed them, and as Paul preached in the synagogues and showed the Jews, and when they were run out, he went to the Gentiles and he showed them from scriptures, this was the promised Messiah. This has been God's plan from the beginning. This is the hope of the kingdom that's coming. This is who's ruling right now. And the whole Testament points toward him. And when you believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that he died for you, it's moored on this. That changes I'm going to say almost everyone I share that and show that to. Almost everyone. So just in close, and I hope there's an eagerness to learn as we go through that. And I mean, chew through some of those things. I mean, when, when did Jesus step into the Holy of Holies? When did he get exalted? Well, right after his resurrection. Here we have the king walking in their midst. Here we have him offering, I mean, all these different things that, that when you have those discussions with young people, at your, with, with people your own age, when you're discussing this around the, 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 the dinner table, 
This changes, this brings the church alive. How much foundation does your gospel have and where does it begin? What are pastors' kids, missionary kids, and church kids walking away from? A verse or God's explained plan? Heavenly Father, Lord, I understand that this is a process. And Lord, there has to be an eagerness for for learning and a commitment to, to reading. And Lord, I think of just just the need to be gathering together and doing this. Lord, the Brians, they studied together. Lord, as, as Paul taught the church of Ephesus for two years, they did it together. Lord, every single example that we have, you rarely see a one-on-one. It was always studying and laying the foundation of the gospel together. And I pray that you would just give us here at Coldstream just a, a spirit and eagerness for learning, for fellowship, for, for opening your word. And Lord, I know without a shadow of a doubt that as we're learning, it's coming out of our mouths. It's, it's engaging in conversations. It's going into our homes. It's going in, 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 in as we interact with our loved ones in our community, in our workplaces. Lord, Lord, I would just pray that you would light us on fire for the foundation of the gospel. And Lord, that it would change us. Be be with us this afternoon even, Lord, in such a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful September day. Lord, I pray that you would give us an opportunity even today. And I pray these things in your name.